entertainment for this morning. There you go. Uh, but that is that uh, song kind of uh, became the Beam theme song. Um, oh, these are my notes. I need those. Uh, during, uh, during the Vivi's pregnancy, uh, a lot of you know some detail on that. That's a story for another time. But if you want to know what happened with, with Vivian and how that pregnancy went, it was, it was a battle. So that we would sing that with the girls. And I want my girls to know that there's nothing bigger than their God. So... All right, so the title of my message this morning is, How Big is Your God? How Big is Your God? We're going to, um, actually, that song talked about David, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, but not yet. We're going to talk about, first of all, how big is God? Not how big is your God, but how big is God? Uh, let's turn to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, we're going to start there. The Bible says, I believe in 1 John, it says that God is love. So I think we can look at the size of God's love and therefore see the size of God. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3 verse 17, 17 through 19. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So we see here that God's love passes our knowledge. Let's pray and we'll continue down this list. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach. Lord, I don't uh, I, I come trembling. I come at, at a, um, as, a, as a man who needs you, who needs uh, your power, who needs, uh, needs me to, to lessen and you to increase. Lord, I pray that you'd help uh, these folks as I pre- present the message that you have given me and that I wouldn't get in the way and that you'd be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see God's love is... A passes knowledge. Now let's go to Romans, Romans 8. We're going to be flipping between passages a lot in the beginning, and then once we get to, to 1 Samuel 17, we'll, we'll probably stay put there. Romans 8, let's go to verse 37. Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'd say God's love is pretty big if there's nothing that can separate us from it. Let's go to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Just looking at how big God is. Maybe not physically, because we know that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must uh, worship him in spirit and in truth. But his, his capabilities, how big is God? Psalm 147, verse 5. 147, verse 5 of Psalm says, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. There is no end to his understanding. Let's flip over to, to Isaiah. Isaiah 
Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 28. His understanding is infinite. 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. His understanding is unfinished. Searchable. His understanding is infinite. Let's go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. So we know that God's love is pretty much boundless. We know that his understanding is infinite. Let's go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 26. Matthew 19, 26 says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God can do anything. All things are possible. Let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32. Just wave your hand if your fingers are cramping. I'll I'll give you a break. Just kidding. This is the last one for a little bit. For a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And of course, we know the answer to that is no. There's nothing too hard for God. His understanding is infinite. His love is boundless, and there is nothing too hard for God. So in his capabilities, God is great. God is infinite. So we serve an infinite God. Think about this. God created space and time, right? So God is outside of space and time. He created it. Uh, That always helps me when I come to something that in the Bible that just doesn't make sense, right? Remember that he created everything. Imagine if there was, there was a creator and then there was God. Wouldn't you in, in, your, in your finite wisdom think, okay, but there's God, but there's someone above God because there's a creator, right? There's, there's someone more important, but no. God is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He is infinite. He is outside of space and time. I brought... I brought a little illustration. So I have a pink balloon. You can tell I'm a, I'm a girl dad. So this is the only balloon we had. And the girls don't want me to pop this, so i got, I got to hopefully not pop it. Uh, so let's pretend that this is, this is how big God is. Let's say this balloon can get to an infinite size. It can get pretty big, but let's just pretend. All right, it can get to an infinite size. That's pretty big, right? Would you say that's bigger than this cup? Yes? Okay. I'm glad you agree. All right, so, but let's pretend, now this can get to an infinite size, but let's pretend this is, this is you. This is what you believe God can do. This is your belief. Okay? What happens? It's limited. Can't get any bigger than that, right? I could probably blow... 
it'll start poking out, right? But eventually, what's going to happen? Right? Can't, can't do it anymore. Can't get any bigger. Two of the scariest, I think the two of the scariest verses in the Bible we're going to go look at. Let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Let's start in verse 12. So this is kind of a, uh, kind of a recap of what happened with, with the Israelites, what happened with uh, the children of Israel through the desert, through different things that they went through after they were uh, out of Egypt. Let's just look down in verse, um, verse 12. Let's go to verse 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the fields of Zoan. So God did marvelous things in their sight. Let's drop down to 16, verse 16. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. He did some amazing things. Verse 27. He rained flesh also upon them as dust. Wow, that's a lot of flesh, right? And feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. He provided for them. He did all these amazing, amazing things, marvelous things. He brought water, he brought food. Verse 32. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. They were limited. They had small belief. Therefore their days, uh, actually let's jump down to 35. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high, and the high God their redeemer. So they came back. But verse 36, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. They came back, and they left again. Verse 37, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steady or steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away. Oh, isn't that the truth for us, too? It did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God. Here it is, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They had a small cup. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now let's look at kind of a New Testament application of that. Let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, we're going to start in verse 53. 13.53 says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother and James and Joseph and Simon and, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? But they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Here it is. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The balloon in our illustration 
completely deflated. He left. He did not many mighty works there because they limited God, because of their unbelief. All right, let's go to 1 Samuel 17. So that was my introduction. Now let's get into the, the body. 1 Samuel 17. I don't know if you guys are, are like this, but when, when, I read, when I read Bible stories that are typical Sunday school kid stuff, right? I try to find something in that story that we teach kids that isn't in the story, right? And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little bit skeptical. But I like to know, hey, what does the Bible say? What does it actually say? Are there events that we're adding in our head that aren't even there? I mean, I'm sure th there can be some assumption on things, but let's not add, add events that are already there. Uh, according to, um, I think my, my Schofield Bible says, uh, 1 Samuel 16 and 17 took place in 1063 B.C. Some people say 1024. Anyway, either way, Goli uh, David was between, they believe, between 18 and 24. That's what I've, that's what I've heard. Again, that's not, I don't know that for sure. But we're going to look at, um, I wanted to read the whole chapter 17, but it's, it's pretty big. So let's start in, uh, let's start in verse. Let's start in verse 26. So let's, let's lead up to 26. So verse, or chapter 16, which we're going to bounce back to here in a little bit, um, was the anointing of David. Samuel uh, call, called Jesse and his sons to a, to a sacrifice uh, and anointed David there. So keep that in mind as, as, we, as we go through chapter 17 here. Uh, let's start in verse 26. And David spake to the men, just to give you a preview before we, we get into this. So first part of, of 17, uh, it, ex it talks about Goliath. It explains his armor. Uh, it talks about how David uh, returns from Saul, because keep in mind, at the end of chapter 16, uh, David is already Saul's armor bearer. Uh, <clears throat> so, and then we get down to verse 26, when David does show up to the battle. So we're going to compare a couple of men here. We're going to compare Eliab, Saul, and David. So verse 26 says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the, manner, to, to the man that killeth him. Which they talked about in verse 25, which we didn't read. That he get great riches, uh, will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Uh, and the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Down to verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So let's look at Eliab's accusation. Eliab's accusation. First of all, let's think about what Eliab's been through. All right? Now, I'm not giving an Eliab, Eliab an excuse here, but I think you and I need to be 
kind to people, maybe when they lash out, because you don't know where they're at. You don't know what they've been through, right? I mean, you talk about this, somebody treats you bad at a, uh, at a Walmart, or who would treat you good at a Walmart? I'm just kidding. Uh, treats you bad at a Walmart, or treats you bad, at, you know, they have bad service. You have no idea what these people have been through, right? But Eliab has been through a lot. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 16, one couple pages back. Let's start in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine, hor- fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee uh, what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. So Samuel's going in blind. He knows what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't know everything yet. Uh, verse 4, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons. And called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab. Every time I was reading this, I kept saying Eliab. I'm like, well, why do I keep doing that? Eliab. And said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel's like, whoa. This guy's impressive. He looks good. He's tall. He looks like a king. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse said, uh, Jesse made Sham up to, to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. So let's focus on Eliab. Eliab was refused of God. He was rejected from being king. Eliab's been through a lot recently here, right? Uh, so he was rejected. He was called into battle. I don't know about you, but that's a little stressful, right? Then he's got to face, then he's got to face, uh, well, with him being the oldest, I'm sure, and obviously Samuel was impressive, impressed with his stature and other things about him. I'm sure he was some sort of high-ranking individual. Uh, in verse 24 of 17... Verse 24 says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, talking about Goliath, fled from him and were sore afraid. Eliab's with those guys, right? He's afraid. He's got, a, he's got some questions to answer, right? What are we going to do about this Philistine? 40 days. He's been coming. No one's, no one's stepped up. He's under a lot of pressure, right? But Eliab's circumstances, apparently... As we see in verse, uh, let's see, verse 28. His circumstances were bigger than his God. His circumstances were bigger than his God. Uh, His first accusation, he's questioning why he's there. Why camest thou down hither? Belittling his previous efforts. Uh, All those few sheep in the wilderness. The accusation of sin. Uh, verse, or, or, or in 28, I know thy pride. 
and the naughtiness of thine heart. Then accusation of immaturity. That's how I look at it. You just, you just came out down here because you want to see the battle. That's why you're here. Uh, you see this a lot in politics, right? When you're, you're discussing a topic or you're discussing a problem, and all of a sudden, something shifts, and there's personal attacks, right? There's personal attacks. And it's not about the topic at hand. It's personal. Um, I have a funny example of this. A couple of guys I, I went to, to Fairhaven with, they uh, messaged me earlier this year and asked me if I wanted to be in their fantasy football league. So I was like, sure, whatever. So we have, we have like a group chat that we talk on. And uh, one of the guys, some of you know Stephen Woldrow, he, uh, he, picked up, he picked up a quarterback. And the quarterback he picked up was Deshaun Watson. If anybody follows football, Deshaun Watson has been suspended for six weeks or something like that. So I was giving Stephen a hard time. I'm like, what are you doing? This guy isn't going to do anything for you, right? Uh, so, you know, we're, we're just joking back and forth. And uh, everybody else on the, on the chat is giving him a hard time for, for picking up that quarterback. And he eventually sends a screenshot, and he shows his record versus my record. So he's, I think he's like, he's got four wins. I only have three and two losses or something like that. So I was joking around like, oh, so you have, you have no ground now because now you're attacking me, right? It was, I'm not really mad about it. I'm just saying it's, it's a good example that it's kind of a fun example, right? But it's personal attacks, personal attacks. When Eliab is under stress, he attacks personally David. But when you're passionate about something, doing something for God, which we see David is, verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? When you're passionate about something and you want to do something for God that maybe other people are uncomfortable with or you're trying to gain the victory, don't be surprised if you get pushback from others. Eliab uh, was giving some pushback. But let's also look at verse 30. I don't think I've ever seen this before as I was studying for this. Verse 30, and he turned from him toward another. Like Picture that in your, your mind. You know, Put yourself here. He turned... Him from him, he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And what did the other guy say? And the people answered him again after the former manner. Ah, oh, you're just out here because you want to see the battle. Go get your sheep. Man, you smell bad. You smell like a shepherd. Are you? A sh- oh, you're a shepherd, right? After the same manner. You know what, David? David didn't have any support. Think about it. He didn't have anybody saying, all right, yeah, you could do this. Though that verse that, verse that later, in, in, uh, when David uh, is, is running from Saul, I believe, uh, the verse talks about how David encouraged himself. You know, that started early. That started pretty early in his life. He had to encourage himself here, right? Uh, So we see that the accusation, the accusation of Eliab and the accusation of others. Uh, this is kind of free. This is just another, you know, David never mentions to these guys. Before I say this, let's re- read verse 31. And when the words were heard, which David spake, and they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. David never said, hey, I'm, I'm going to beat this guy up, right? So there were some rumors floating around. Uh, David never mentions that he would fight the giant until he interacts with Saul. Uh, it makes me wonder, when, what was the decision point for David? When was that decision point? I'm going to fight the giant. Again, that's free. That's 
There's really no application there. Uh, unless you can find one. Then it's all yours. Uh, Saul's doubt. Verse 33. Let's drop down to verse 33. Actually, let's do 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Saul's got some doubts. Saul doesn't think this young man can accomplish this. Saul's got some doubts because his belief isn't as big as it should be in his infinite God. Let's read uh, verse 34. Verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David recognized God had given him victory before and he could do it again. Sometimes I wonder... When we're going through things, we're going through a battle that we're facing or, or just a storm or a hard time or, or something that we have to, to, to accomplish for God, maybe we don't have as many past victories as we think we do. And there's, there's nothing to look back to. That's one, a key important part that David saw. He knew that God had prepared him for this through those two acts the killing of the lion and the bear. Often, though, we go through a battle or a trouble and we think, okay, what's God using this for? But we forget the previous battles we've gone through to remember that you, went th- you may have went through this for the current battle that you're in. So look back at your previous victories. Look back at what God has done for you. Let's drop down to verse 38. Verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armored him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. This is another one of those, those kid stories, right? The, the, the part where... where you know, Saul's big, right? And we try to put it on little David, and oh, it just doesn't fit him, right? Like we kind of throw that in, in the David and Goliath story. Do you think Saul was that stupid? I don't think so. David, remember, David knew Saul's armor. David knew Saul's armor. He was his armor bearer. He was very familiar with his armor. But it wasn't for him. It wasn't what God had prepared for him. Someone's else, someone else's perspective of how you should handle a battle may not be what God has prepared for you or, or prepared you for. So remember your own... I'm not, I'm not saying don't take advice from other people, but depend on God. God will prepare you for your, for your future battles. All right, let's go to verse... Let's see, where did we end there? Mm-hmm. Let's go to verse 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Oh, let's go down to 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, which was just a, a bag. And, and, it, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? Which is interesting. That, that obviously means he had his staff with him too. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will, he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew, near, drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And wounded the Philistines fell down by the way of Sha'arim, even unto Gath, and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, this is the important part that I want to, uh, I think I'm going to end with this. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. I have no idea. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is, which just simply means young man. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. You know, when you win a battle, when you go through something in your life, cancer, a death of a loved one, those around you are going to notice if you're victorious over that thing. Those around you are going to notice. Saul asked, who is David? Who's, who's, whose father is David? Hey, who's, whose family does this guy represent? If I, can, if I can take a physical, obviously he was talking about his physical father, but apply it to us spiritually. Maybe someone would come to you and say, hey, how did, how did you get through that? Who, who, 
Who, helps, who, who, who helped you through that? Hey, who's, whose family are you a part of? Right? Hey, who do you represent? They, they see something different, right? Is God showing himself in your life? Has he shown himself to others through you? Are they inquiring, hey, I know you've been going through a rough time and somehow you're getting through it. And that's when you can point them to your father. Are you more like Eliab where you're concerned with the circumstances around you? A lot of things have just been going on and and you're just frustrated. Eliab could have been the hero, right? Maybe he could have, first day, he's like, all right, let's take him out. God will help me, right? He had the, the same opportunity. He had the same God, right? Are you like Saul where you don't, you don't seem to, to, you don't seem to, uh, you seem to doubt. You seem to doubt what God can do. You limit God. You limit God. Or are you like David who can recognize past victories and that God gave him and prepared him for what was to come? You know, if David said, I don't really need God, what would have happened? I think he would have died that day, personally. And that, if he said he didn't need him, that's, you'd consider that a rejection of God. You know what? If you're not saved, if you're, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're doing the same thing every single day. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting the Son of God, the one who died for you, the one who shed his blood. The way to be saved is simply admitting that you're a sinner, knowing that you have done things against a holy, infinite, perfect God, and believing that his Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sins, and that the only way you can escape hell, the punishment for that sin, is through what the perfect Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And lastly, just confessing your sins and accepting Christ as your Savior. So we know how big God is, but the title of this message is How Big Is Your God? Have you compared your circumstance to God? We sing the kid's song, uh, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. You ever stopped and think about that? Thought about that song? It's a, it's a great kid song. It's a great adult song too. There's nothing my God cannot do. How big is God? How big and wide is his vast domain? To try to tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule his mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. My challenge to you today, how big is your God? Are you limiting God in your life? God can get bigger on your behalf. You just have to allow it. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach. I thank you for how big you are. And uh, Lord, there's nothing that you can't do. Your, your wisdom is infinite. Your understanding is, is without searching. Uh, your love is boundless. Lord, we're so thankful for just how good you are. And uh, Lord, if we're limiting you in, in any way because of sin, 
because of a terrible thing of unbelief. Lord, help us to, to get that right this morning. Lord, uh, there's a lot of people in here that could be going through a lot of things. I pray that they'd, they'd seek your face and that they'd realize that you're a big God and, and that you can, you can solve big problems and it's nothing to you to do so. I'm so thankful that we have this church. I'm thankful that uh, four past victories that you've given us, Lord, help us to reflect on those past victories as David did. Pray that you'd bless this invitation. Uh, give us a good uh, rest of the morning in Jesus' name. Amen.